It says here, But as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. Older women likewise are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good, and so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. Likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works, and in your teaching show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned, so that an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. Bond servants are to be submissive to their own masters in everything. They are to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, but showing all good faith so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. Pray with me, please. Lord Jesus, uh, just thank you for your word here, Lord. We know that Paul writes for the sake of the faith of the elect, Lord, so that we can be converted and our faith can grow and that our knowledge of the truth would, uh, would accord with godliness, Lord, that w- as we learn sound doctrine, as we learn truth, Lord, that it would lead to, to godly living. And as we look at this today and we see Paul's instruction to all of us here in the church, Lord, I, I pray, Lord, that your sound doctrine, your truth would, would transform us. Lord, that we would live godly lives for your kingdom and in your glory. Lord, I pray also Lord, that we'd be a community, Lord, that, that loves each other. That we would love one another, Lord. That we would pour into each other's lives and, and share, Lord, our, our experiences and in, in your word and, and all that we've, we've, been, we've learned and we've been taught to, to those younger than us, Lord. Help us submit also, Lord, to those who are older than us. Sometimes when we're, we're young, we think we're the hot shot that knows it all, Lord, but, but we have much to learn from people that are older and wiser than us, Lord. Above all, Lord, I pray that we would be self-controlled, as is this an important theme here in this text. Give us your spirit, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. So uh, when I was 15, I, I, I came to faith in Jesus Christ. And, uh, and I, immediately I got connected to this church called uh, First Presbyterian Church in, in Casa Grande, Arizona, where I grew up. And it was a church filled with a lot of older folks. I remember uh, Eunice Barnes and her blue hair, right, some old folks there. But they're really just loving. And, and one of the guys that was there, was uh, his name was Paul Cooper. Had a great impl- influence on my life. You might have even heard me speak about him before. But uh, uh, I remember uh, one time we went on this youth ski trip. He was our sc- Sunday school teacher. So he took us on this snowboarding trip. And we got up to the top of the mountain. We didn't take any classes or anything. You know, they just took us up and said, go for it. Well, Paul, he was a big burly man. And he got on that snowbird, and immediately he fell and dislocated his shoulder. All right, so they kind of drag him up, try to help him get up to see if he can get down the mountain. And immediately he gets up and falls on the other shoulder and dislocates his other shoulder. So he's like all twisted up his shoulders, <laughs> two dislocated shoulders, and, and they take him down the mountain. And that same day I was like, man, snowboarding, man, this is, this is crazy. I didn't want to, I felt the pain in my knees when I was falling and stuff. And I was like, I, I want to play basketball until I'm old. 
I don't want to blow out my knee here. So I stopped. And uh, day two, I spent the whole day with him uh, in the ski lodge. Basically, we just got to talk, just talk about life and, and doctrine and all the questions I had. And it was one of, the, one of the best moments I remember in my life, just being able to, to learn from him. And, and he was just, he was a fun guy to be around. And I remember uh, going over to his house and having dinner with his family he had a, a wife, and he had two, young, uh, two younger daughters, the daughters that were a little bit younger than me, and I got to see how he, how he led them and how he loved them. I remember uh, uh, he would uh, pay his daughter to read books and record them into a, into a book, to basically, to, into a recorder, a cassette tape recorder, to basically, uh, uh, so that he had the audio book. And so he would pay her, so she'd get to read the book, and then, you know, it would be the double benefit. And I thought that was really cool. But one of the best things about Paul is I remember his passion for God's Word. And it was infectious. And I, and I wanted to learn about God and His Word. I, I wanted to be like Him. And I, I think that that's what we're getting a glimpse of today here in Titus. Right? The older men, the older uh, mature Christians pouring into the younger. Right? And... and the younger submitting themselves to the leadership of the older. And that's what we see. So chapter 1, we saw Paul was concerned about godliness in the church and, and appointing elders. In chapter 2, he's now he's talking about uh, godly living in our home, in our home lives. And what, we're, what we see here is that what we believe, I mean, Paul's over and over been talking about sound doctrine, right? What we believe affects how we behave. Right, what we believe uh, affects, right, what we believe in our head affects our heart, which therefore affects our hands, right? What we believe affects how we behave. Our, what we believe up here, the sound doctrine here, is going to affect our heart and our affections and our desires, which will then control our hands. Sound doctrine is important. That's why Paul in Titus 1.1, right, he, he's, he's saying that he's writing for the knowledge of the truth which accords with godliness. Right? He sees that knowledge of the truth in the head is going to lead to a godly life from our heart to our hands. In Titus 1, 2.1, we see that there's kind of a, a little like a bookends in this little section. We see he tells them in 2.1, right, teach what accords with sound doctrine. And then in 2.10, you see, so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. Right? Teach sound doctrine so that they can adorn the doctrine of God our Savior, right? So it leads to a godly life. So you put the, the good news of the gospel on display. That's what this is all about. And so sound doctrine is vital to godly living. And, and one of the, one of the uh, quotes that's really shaped Redemption Church as a whole is a quote from John Frame. And he says this, that he says, Theology is the application of God's word by persons to every area of life. Right, because we can tend to want to learn. Think we can put theology as it's just head knowledge. It's just about textbook and and knowing all this stuff and building up a lot of knowledge. But but what John Frame is saying here is that, and I think he's agreeing with what Paul's writing is that theology, right, sound doctrine, is actually the application of God's word to every area of life. Right, sound doctrine leads to godly living. And that's what we see. And really, it's, it's the opposite of legalism and religion. If you remember last week, uh, Paul was op- opposing 
the, the circumcision party, right? This, this legalistic group who made it about rules and earning your righteousness. And, and what, what religion teaches is the opposite of this. Because religion says you do a lot of good works to earn your righteousness before God. But sound doctrine, right? The gospel teaches that, that God saves us and he gives us his righteousness and his truth. And then because God saved us and he's changed us, it leads to godly living, right? So this is the opposite of religion. And I want to make, make that point because there, there is a lot of, I mean, as we go through this, like all these things we should be, all these things we should do. And so you have to know that Paul's not just giving us a, a, a checklist of, of legalism, of all these things that we need to do to earn our righteousness. No, Paul's saying because you have God's righteousness, because you have faith, Right, the faith of the leg, because you have uh, the knowledge of the truth that accords with godliness, it will lead to godly living. Right, so so grace, grace leads to a godly life. This is not a checklist. All right, so we're going to see two main points here: the content of the godly life, kind of what 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 does the godly life look like? And he's going to go, you know, older older men, older women, younger women, younger men, and then the other thing we're going to see is the context of the godly life. The context of the godly life is, is communities where, where people are discipling each other. All right, so the content of a godly life. The first thing he speaks to is, is older men. He describes a, a wise old man. If you look at verse 2, right, he tells us that over, older men are to be sober-minded, right, not drunk, not high, clear-minded, dignified, self-controlled, Sound in faith and love and in, in steadfastness. And so that whenever you see sound, you remember he, he's saying it, it means healthy, right? He's got a healthy, growing faith. He, he's steadfast. It means he's reliable, that he loves people. This is what a, he's describing an older man as, right? As a wise old man. And what, what we're going to see here is self-control over and over and over. Self-control is in every one of these. It's the one thing that ties all these, of these four groups together, right? Older men are to be self-controlled. It says older women are to teach the younger women how to be self-controlled. And, it, and the only thing it says to young men is be self-controlled. So we see self-control is very important here. And, and, uh, and so you have to ask a question, why is self-control so important? Why is it self-control? Well, if you're not self-controlled, you can't be the person that God wants you to be, right? If, you don't, if you're lacking in self-control, even if we look at, at this list of what, what it's calling men to be, right, they're going to, instead of being sober-minded, they're going to be drunk with not self-controlled. Instead of being dignified, right, worthy of respect, they're not going to be not respectable, right? They're, they're not going to have healthy faith. They're not going to love people. They're going to be selfish, Right? Instead of being reliable, steadfast, we're going to be unreliable. Right? So self-control is vital for all this. And so I, I, I think the warning, and in in this week it just hit me as I was kind of going through this, that if you're not self-controlled, you will be controlled by whatever it is that you're not being self-controlled with. Right? If you're not self-controlled, you will end up under the control of whatever you're lacking self-control in, right? So if, you, if, you're, if you're failing to do things, right, the sins of omission, right, they, these are sins that you're failing to do what God's called you to do, 
if you're if you're if you're that then then whatever you're failing to do will eventually control you and on the opposite end if you are are committing sins of commission which means you're you're indulging in sin you will be controlled by that sin right so so there's two hands right two sides of this you'll be controlled by those things that you fail to do right that you're passive about that God's calling you to do and that you're actively indulging in right sins that you're actively actively indulging in so for example if if you fail to raise your children up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord, you'll be controlled by your kids, right? God calls us to, to raise our kids and discipline them and, and teach them the gospel. And if we don't do that, we end up being controlled by them, right? Be, be, by their unruly behavior, by their, their, their rebellion. And, and if you don't do that, if you don't raise your, your kids, you're going to end up raising your grandkids, right? You're going to be controlled by your kids. If, if, or another way is if you, you indulge in, in gluttonous eating, you're going to be controlled by, by your weight and your health, right? If, you, if you're lacking in self-control, you will be controlled by that thing. You indulge in sexual behavior, you'll be controlled by it. And I think that's, that's why over and over and over we see here self-control. And, and I think men especially we have to be self-controlled. Uh, we, uh, many of us, maybe we consider ourselves older or, or we're growing up. And if we're not self-controlled, what happens is sin just, just piles up, piles up, right? The weight of it in our lives until we say, you know, forget this. I can't deal with this. And we escape. We escape out of it. We run from all of our responsibilities. And, and, and I think that's the reason so many men struggle with midlife crises, right? They, they're lacking self-control, and sin just piles up and piles up and piles up until it's unbearable, and they don't even want to deal with it, so they, they run, right? They flee for, for greener, greener pastures, and they destroy their lives and the, the people around them, too. And so, But the good news here about self-control is that it's part of the fruit of the Spirit. Galatians 5.22 and 23 describes the fruit of the Spirit, the fruit that you will see in your life if you have the Holy Spirit. And and self-control is in there. The good news is, if you're not a naturally self-controlled person, God gives us supernatural help, right? If you're not naturally self-controlled, and some of us aren't, right? God gives us what we need. He gives us Himself. He fills us with the Holy Spirit, to enable us to do what he's calling us to do, right? So if you, you hear this self-control and, and you're, you're, you're lacking in it, right? The, the, the goal isn't, right, to, to wag, your, my, wag my finger at you and say, get it together, buddy, right? What we need to do is trust Jesus, right? We need to trust the gospel. We need to submit ourselves to God and, and ask for him to fill us with his spirit to enable us to do what he's calling us to do, right? This older man that is describing this wise old man, this doesn't happen by him just, you know, being really good and really strong and and keeping all the rules. It it happens by the Spirit. The Spirit's going to transform you. You need the Spirit. So don't pursue necessarily self-control, but pursue the Spirit. Verse 3, we see the for older women here. Verse 3, it calls them to be reverent in behavior, right? Holy, 
not slanderers. Uh, that word slanderer is a really interesting word. It, it's diabolos in the Greek. It's the word we get diabolical. <laughs> That's a really heavy word if you think about it. Don't be diabolical. That means not treacherous or, or, a, or a traitor. That means not be a, a crisis causer or a, or a drama queen. Those are our words, right? Don't be diabolical. Don't be slaves to much wine. But rather... Older women are to teach what is good and, and train the young women. And so what I want to acknowledge here is, is the important role that older women have in the church. I think a lot of times, you know, especially we, last week we just talked about elders and, and, and even the last series we talked about of the in marriage, right, and, and man's role as the leader in and, and the home and the church. And sometimes we forget about how important women are. I mean, women are so important to the church. The church cannot function and cannot be healthy without godly older women playing a part in the community of God, in the church. Right? We need uh, older women to, especially to, to pour in and train the younger women. Right? Uh, uh, us pastors, young pastors, uh, are only going to be able to teach so much, right? We can't model. We, they can't look to our example. But, but you as, as older women, they can look at you and look at your life and, and look at your struggles and, and where you failed. And you can teach, you know, even through your failures. So older women, you're so important. And Paul, I, I think the warning here is, is, one, I think, is to highlight the importance, right? But also the warning here is that rather than being a, 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 a gossip or a busybody or a or crisis causer that you're to, to seek younger women to pour your life into, right? Because what happens is, and, and this is anyone, and, and it may, it is when you turn inward, you tend to focus on yourself and only your problems, right? When we're only focused on ourselves, we're going to get bored with life, right? And that, I think that's the temptation for, for older women is, is to get bored, right? To get bored and, and then begin to entertain yourselves with, with other people's lives. Maybe to make yourself feel better about yours, that you, you want to get into everyone else's gossip and, and tear them down to, to feel better about yourself. Or I think the other temptation is to get bitter, right? To get bored or get bitter. I think that's what Paul's warning here. And, and, the, and the bitterness is from, again, being inward-focused, being only focused on, on the past and what's happened, maybe failures and how, anyone, how people have let you down, right? Harboring unforgiveness, right? Then you get bitter. And Paul's calling you, instead of getting bitter, looking at the past, right? Look to the present, how God's going to use you today, right? Look to the future and, and, and how you're going to shape other people's lives. And I think that... You do that, then in your self-control, you begin to be a, a reverent woman, a holy and an honorable woman, teaching and training younger women. So instead of looking inward and getting bored and bitter, look outward and be a blessing. Verse four, we see uh, young women, right? What young women are to do as old women, older women are teaching this. It says, train young women to love their husbands and children. To be self-controlled. Again, you see self-control there. Right? To be pure. 
working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands. Unpopular things in our culture, right? To be working at home and, and submissive to husbands. No, no one wants to hear that. But that's what he's, Paul's calling the women to do, to be busy at home. That means if you're a wife or, or, or you're a, a mother, that home is the primary place that you're supposed to serve and glorify God. Now, I don't think that that means that a woman can't have a job. Right? Paul is not saying what women should do outside of the home. He's talking about inside of the home. Right? That he's not prohibiting a job. Right? He, but, he, but the call is to be busy at home, which means don't be lazy at home. Right? There's a lot of people that are stay-at-home moms, and they're not busy at home. Right? And maybe they'll even look down, look at those working moms. I stay home, and they're lazy at home as well. Right? And it's not to be over busy outside of the home. Right? So he's, only, he's focusing here. What does God want you to do in the home? And, and uh, let me just acknowledge that, uh, you know, uh, that I think many women need to be content with the, the life that, that God's given them. I think the te- temptation for, for stay-at-home moms is, is to feel like they're a nobody because they stay at home, right? Maybe other women per- perpetuate that, look down on you because you stay home, and you feel like a nobody, but that's not your identity, right? That's not the gospel, right? In Christ, our identity is a, a child of God and citizen of the kingdom of God, not a nobody, right? And, and women who stay at home have a, a, a very important task, right? They have the task of, of raising up children and, and discipling them and training them. And, and no one else can do that. So you need to be content and have your identity set in Christ. I think another temptation why, why women might struggle to, to accept that the work be busy at home is because of the temp, struggling to trust God and their husband. I think many women... Uh, they want to be busy outside of the home and focus on a career because they want a backup plan, right? They want a backup plan in case this guy, guy ditches me or fails me. But, we, but I think you need to be content with who God is calling you to be and, and trust God, right? Trust God that he's the provider, he's the sustainer, and he'll take care of you, you know, even in the worst of circumstances. So... Again, I want to reiterate that busy in the home doesn't forbid working outside of the home, right? Especially if your work is contributing to inside of the home, then, it, then it's probably great, right? It's, it, you're, you're working outside of the home is contributing to inside of the home. If you want to go, I encourage you to go read Proverbs 31, starting in verse 10, right? The Proverbs 31 woman you see is busy in the home. And outside of the home, but she's a, she's a great blessing to the home, and she's a great model for, for all women. Uh, please go read that. But if you're wondering, but so there's this like tension here, right? Should I work? Should I not work? It, it, that women have to, to deal with, especially um, specifically wives and, and mothers, right? There's that tension. Should I work? Should I not work? That you have to deal with on your own. Like I can't look into, and I can't even right now just kind of talk about all the scenarios and all that. I, I just can't do that. You're going to have to talk to God and pray about it and seek counsel if, if you should or shouldn't work. But I think Paul's given us a couple things you can ask yourself. 
The first one is, if you're asking that question, should I work or should I not work, you should ask yourself, are you busy at home? Right? Are you taking care of the responsibility that God's called you to do at home? And two, you got to ask, are, are you submitting to the leadership of your husband? Right? If, if, if the answer to either of those is, is no, then you might, you probably have a problem there, right? You probably, uh, if your husband's telling you, you know what, honey, we're fine. We, we, we have the finances in order. You know, I, I, my job provides more than enough. And he's saying that, and you're saying, no, I want to have a career. Right? You probably got a problem there that you need to deal with. Probably have a, a sin issue that needs to be addressed. And so I, I'd encourage you to think about those, right? Are you busy at home? Are you submitting to the leadership of the husband? If the answer is yes on both of those, then it's probably fine for you to have a job. It's probably just fine for you, right? So I'd encourage you to just think about that, pray about that. You know, I can't tell every situation, but you have to figure it out in your context. And what I would say for, for single women... It's perfectly fine for you to be working, obviously, right? You, 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 don't, you, you should use your season of singleness to, to pursue holiness, right? That's what your, your season of singleness is, is, is to grow in holiness, to, to grow in the Lord, and, and to use your season of singleness to, to serve God, undistracted. You got undivided uh, attention to serve God, to be on mission, to be a blessing, right? You should stay busy. Uh, you can't just wait around for a husband, right? Use your season of singleness to be a blessing, to grow, to work, to go to school, whatever God might call you to be. Now we get to the younger men, verse 6. Now this is it. I don't even have to read it. The interesting thing here, and I think it's kind of humorous, to the younger men, it's, it only gives us one thing. One thing he says, be self-controlled. Right? He's like, all right, guys. I'm going to make it simple for you young guys, right? You got all that energy, and you got all this uh, passion and drive to do things with your life. One thing is calm down and be self-controlled, right? Be self-controlled, right? Uh, it, your youth is a, it, what you do in your youth, right, as a young man is going to affect the rest of your life. So we need to be self-controlled. One of the best advice that, that I've ever heard uh, as I was growing up as a young man, was that, that we should begin with the end in mind. Begin with the end in mind. So, so you, you can think about, like, what, what do I want to be remembered as? Right? What, what do I want people to write on my headstone? I even had one guy that was discipling me and had us, had us write our, our eulogy for when we died, like what we would want people to say about us. And so you should begin with the end in mind as a young man because... Where you want to be, it, do, it doesn't happen overnight, right? If you want to be, have, a, have a godly marriage, you want to raise kids who love Jesus, you want to have a, a good career where you can provide for your family, or you want to be uh, serving God, uh, be able to teach others, disciple others, like that doesn't happen overnight. It happens from long obedience in the same direction, right? It happens from being self-controlled for a long time. It happens from being faithful Day by day, waking up, doing the same thing over and over and over. Like, nothing just, just magically happens, right? There's no, there's no get, get, get there quickly, you know, formula. It happens from obedience over a long time, day by day by day. 
And so even if you look at older men, and, and there's older men that you respect, and, man, I would love to be like that, you're not going to get there right away. You know, it's just everyday faithfulness, every day. And so I think that's why it says be self-controlled. Be self-controlled right now because, right, so I would say for young men, be self-controlled sexually because if you're not self-controlled sexually, it's going to affect your life and your marriage and your kids in the future, right? If you're not self-controlled sexually and you're indulging in, in porn or you're sleeping around or, or masturbation, what are you training yourself for? You're not training yourself for, for monogamy and a healthy relationship. You're you're training yourself for adultery. That's what those things are training you for. They're training you to be discontent with your wife, right, and to look elsewhere. So men need to be self-controlled sexually. Men need to be, young men need to be self-controlled financially, right? If you're not self-controlled with your finances, you're going to pile up debt, and you're going to be controlled by that debt, right? You got to be self-controlled with, with, with work, right? Men, we need to work hard. Show up, be consistent, show up on time, uh, respect our bosses, right? That's self-control, and, and it happens, you know, day by day by day. Or even if, it, if it's school, maybe it's school that you want to pursue. You have to be self-controlled with school. You got to get your classes done. Get it over with because the longer you wait, the harder it gets as you get more and more responsibilities. So young men, be self-controlled. And so as we kind of wrap up this section, I'd, I'd ask you, what kind of person are you? As you think about what, what group you fall into, what kind of person are you? Are you self-controlled? I think you should uh, ask yourself that, right? Are you, are you pouring your life into others? Or is your, and maybe you can even ask yourself this. Is your life an example that can be followed? I think that's important. Right, and so if you're if you're sound in doctrine, sound in faith, that should be something you you desire. In verse seven, we're gonna move on. We see now Paul addresses to Titus. He basically tells Titus to 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 model good works. If you see that in verse seven, that he's talking to Titus, and then in verse nine, he moves on to to bond servants. Bond servants are are slaves in that culture. Now, it wasn't the, the, necessarily the same as American slavery, although you could have had a, a, a cruel master, and we've seen advice for, for those who are under cruel masters. In, in, I know in Peter, First Peter has that advice. But, but these uh, slaves in, in, the, in the family structure in this, in this culture, slaves were seen more as part of the family. So the, the dad would be the head of the, the home. You'd have mom. You'd have adult children, slaves, and then young children, right? So they're part of the family. They're, they're part of the household, and, and, and it was important. They were important here. And, and what I would say the context for, for this in our culture is, is you, we would be considered employees. I think this advice is, is great advice for what an employee, what you as an employee should be. So let's look at some of these things. See, bond servants are called to be submissive, right? Which means follow leadership, do what they tell you to do, right? It, it, unless they're telling you to sin, obviously, right? Do what they tell you to do unless it's sinful. They're to be well-pleasing. I think that's 
that's an interesting thing. Like, if you want to be a good employee, you want to be well-pleasing. But what that means is you're, you're trying to please your boss. Not because you're needy and you need his, his affirmation, but because you want to be a good employee. You want to be a, a blessing to, to proactively work hard and, and go above and beyond, not just to do the minimum as an, as an employee. Right, the temptation is just to do the minimum and just get in and get out of there. But I think a, a good employee will be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, which means not stealing from them, and showing all good faith. And above all, what all this is written for is, and we'll, we'll look at it in the end, is so that we can adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. Right, if you remember, I, I read that in verse 10, so that we might adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. That means we might put on display the good news of the gospel, right? So we can show uh, what, how sound doctrine leads to godly living. And so the point in, in being a, a good employer, older man, older woman, younger woman, younger man, is to, to put God on display, put the good news of the gospel on display, right? And so that's, that's what this is all about. And, and at work is one of the most if you, look about, if you think about it this way, your workplace is, is where God's called you to put him on display as a missionary of God, right? And, and so you can't just see work as I just do that to, to get it over with, right? But that's the place that God's put you to glorify him, all right? Two, I'm going to move, we're going to move a little quicker. We see the, the context, the context of a godly living, and that's an intergenerational community intergenerational community and we see just as children are nurtured in, in, in a, a family right that that christians are to be nurtured in in the church community in a community of of discipleship and that we we can't grow on our own that's why paul's saying that we need people in our lives and we need to be pouring into other people's lives it's because we're created for community by a communal god Right? God exists in, in community. He's a, he's a trinity. we got one God that ex, is, exists in three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And he's created us for other people. And so Paul is, is painting this picture of community which older, older men and women are, are training the younger, and the younger are submitting to the older. And, and, that's, and we all need that. Right, so I want to ask you are, you, are you actively evolved in a, a redemption community? Those are the, what we facilitate to, to create communities of discipleship. Do you have other people in your lives? Are you pouring into other people? Or do you, if you're younger, you should, uh, you should seek someone older than you that can you know, disciple you, that can pour into you. Even myself, I have uh, Randy Murphy. If He preaches here every once in a while. Randy's who, kinda, who I talk to and and he keeps me accountable, and I'm learning and growing a lot by, through his, his leadership over my life. And then you should have, if you're older, then you should have people younger than you that you're pouring into. And if you fall somewhere in between the older and younger, maybe you should have someone older than you, and you should have younger people that you're pouring into. So think about that. I really would, have, would want you to really consider that. Right? Think about that for your life. Who are you pouring into? Who are you discipling? Or maybe you need to do both. All right. I think there's some quick advice on how you dis- disciple, right? He, 
Paul tells Titus to set an example. So you might wonder, well, how do I, how do, I do this? How do I disciple someone? Set an example by your life. I'd say oh, open up your house, right? Invite people over for dinner. Let them see the way you love your wife, the love your kids. That's what Paul did. He just did natural living and, and brought us along with, the, with him. So just open up your life to others. Let them see your, your, even your struggles and your failures and how you, you confess and how you repent. Right? Teach them how to pray. Teach them how to read their Bible. These are important things. Set an example so that we can adorn the gospel of God our Savior. Right? So we can make the gospel attractive to the world. Right? It, if you look at this whole idea like, the world does not like the idea of self-control and submission, right? But, and they don't like that. But when they see it happening, when they see communities of people who are loving each other and supporting each other and praying for each other, it is extremely attractive, right? Even though the world doesn't like it, when they see it happening, it's just like they're, they're getting a glimpse of, wow, that's the way it's supposed to be. Right, because when they see it, they see they're getting a glimpse of uh, of how how it will be right in, in in God's future kingdom. They're getting just a glimpse, and it adorns God. It adorns the doctrine of God our Savior. It, it it's like uh, it's like you're putting it on display. You're wearing it for all to see, the beauty of, of how the gospel shapes a people in a community. And changes people's lives, right? And even how they work. I mean, it changes everything. And it's all about God putting God on display. And and that's what that, that's what our identity is, right? That's what the church is. If you if you even think about the biblical story, in the beginning God creates the heavens and earth. Man rebels and it and it and, and breaks everything. That's why this world is broken and fallen. But but they begin to look forward to the hope of, of our Savior, Jesus Christ. That's what the Old Testament is about. It's looking forward to Jesus' coming. And then Christ comes. He, he dies on the cross. He rises again three days later. He accomplishes redemption for mankind. And what does Jesus do? Acts 1 tells us for 40 days he's on earth. He's establishing his church, teaching about the kingdom of God. Right, And what God does is he sends a people, his church, to be witnesses, right? Witnesses to the world, right? As the Father sent me, so I send you, Jesus says, right? He sends the, the church to adorn the, the doctrine of God our Savior, to put God on display, to glorify him, to share the good news of the gospel. He sends his church on mission. That's what, that's what Jesus does. And so the church continues the mission of Jesus until he returns, until he glorifies us and, and perfects us and, and restores all things. And so he leaves us here as his community to love and support each other, to disciple each other and, and put him on display. That's, what, that's our whole identity. That's who, Christ, that's who you are as a Christian, right? Your identity is a, a child of God and a citizen of the kingdom of God, right? That's why this is so important. That's why godly living is so important because it shows people the truth, right? And they get a glimpse into God's glory and, and, and how it one day will be through our lives. Let me pray.
Lord Jesus, I, I, I thank you, Lord, for this, uh, this great truth today, Lord. Uh, I pray, Lord, that we wouldn't turn this into a, a legalistic checklist of things to do, things to feel guilty about, Lord. I, but I pray that we would see that, that this is what happens when, when our lives are transformed. This is what happens automatically, Lord, when, when your spirit begins moving, Lord. This is what happens when, when older pour into younger and younger submit to older, Lord. We, we put you on display. We live out our, our identity as your, your, your kingdom citizens, as your children. I pray that we would do that with our lives, Lord. I pray that we would be pouring into people. I pray that we would have people pouring into us, Lord. I pray, Lord, that we would have self-control. Protect us, Lord. Help us forsake sin. Fight against sin, Lord. Not allow it to control us. Fill us with your spirit. In uh, Jesus' name we pray. Amen.